0: Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. You look good. Beautiful day outside. Uh, this past week, I think it was, uh, in the Olympics, Lily King won a silver medal in swimming. And shortly after that, an article came out about how discouraged she was that the media does not celebrate silver medals, only gold medals in the United States. In the United States, you've got to win a gold medal or nothing. And we are into winning. Uh, this week, no, it was last week, I was in the Dunkin' Donuts, there's two guys in there, one was a Mets fan, one was a Yankees fan, and the Mets are doing a little bit better than the Yankees this year, so it <laughs> doesn't happen that often. And so the Mets guy was like, hey, hey, uh, you guys, and he was, you're four out, or whatever happened that he was saying, and, and the Yankees guy goes, "Uh, you, you only have to win like 25 more, man, you only have to win like 25 more. Because they've won like 27 world championships. If you don't win a world championship, you're you're nothing, right? You have to be a winner, a winner, a winner. And even in church, we have this pressure to go, hey, churches do this. Like, we're the fastest growing church. We're this church. We're that church. We're the greatest. We are the best. We're number one. So I have this question for you today. We are followers of Jesus, and if you're here and you're like, "Hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus, you get to relax, kind of watch what we're going to talk about today. I, I think it'll give you an insight into Christ that uh, you'll appreciate. You're, we're followers of Jesus. Is Jesus winning? Is he winning? Is he winning? Let's go big first. Is he winning in the world? The direction and what you watch it, what you're watching happening in the world. Do you wake up in the morning, read the news, and go, Jesus is winning? Or you're like, I uh, whoa. And you could bring it down to the United States. You could bring it down to your own town. You could probably even bring it to your extended family. Is Jesus winning? Well, we're going to wrestle with that question today. Is Jesus winning? And we're going to start in Acts Chapter 1, when they actually asked Jesus, are we winning yet? Is, is now when we win? Uh, so Jesus came and he gave the message of the kingdom. And he talks about how, follow me, I'm going to build this kingdom. I'm going to build this kingdom. It was focused on spiritual things, but the leaders of the, or the, his followers were like, okay, yeah, great, got the spiritual, got the spiritual. When's it going to be, when are we going to win? Like, when are we going to win? And uh, that is, Jesus has died. He's rose, he's rose from the dead. And it's actually just before he's going to go up in the clouds and his followers. That's where we pick it up in Acts. He says, Then they gathered around him and ask, Ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That means, are we going to win? Do we, get the, do we get to be the winners? Are we number one? The kingdom of Israel being number one. Are we going to win? And this is Jesus' answer. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. That the Father is the one who determines when the kingdom is restored. The Father is the one who determines when not just in your heart, not just in your family, not just in your country, not, but in the entire universe, he's like, okay, now I am totally turning evil for good. But it's by his authority. Remember this. Remember this piece. It's by his authority. Because in your own life, many times you take on the mantle that I need to make sure Jesus wins. I need to make sure the church wins. I need to make sure my family wins. I need to make sure my country wins. It's on his authority. This is God's plan. This is God's work that he's doing. And he says this, but, all right? So God's authority, and then he says, but, all right? Now, kind of we're going to go in a different direction. Talked about God the Father, Now we're going to talk about you. He says, but you will receive power. Ah, I love that word power. Don't you love the word power? If you close your eyes and you thought of power, power and winning are really close, right? They're really close. I'm powerful, and so I'm going to win. I lost. I must not have been powerful. I wish I was powerful as them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, if you have entered into a relationship with Christ, whereby you've moved your faith from yourself or anything else, another religion or another mindset, you've turned away from that and you've put your faith in Christ alone to forgive you of your sins, make you new. He is your God. He is your King. If that's true of you, then the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This power has come upon you. Whether you feel like it today or not, it is absolutely 100% true. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. A witness is someone who saw something and tells somebody else about it. I saw it. This is what it is. I saw that happen. This is what happened. Sometimes a witness is somebody who learns how a process works, and then they teach it to somebody else. They're a witness of what that is. This is important. You are a witness. It is not about you. You're not Jesus. You're a witness of Jesus. You're not the authority. You're a witness of the authority. And your power is not the power to change the world. Your power is the power to share with other people what you've witnessed, what you've seen, what you've experienced. You'll be my witnesses. And then he he sets it this way in Jerusalem, that's where they were. In all Judea, that's the country they were in. In all Samaria, Samaria was the country to the north. And to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes a huge promise. There's about 120 people there at this time. And he says, listen, the power of God, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses, not only here, but the next country and the next country and around the world. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight so then jesus was gone from the face of the earth he has not yet come back he promises he will but he has not yet come back and in jerusalem a couple days after this is the day of pentecost when peter stands up and preaches and the holy spirit has come upon them they have the ability to speak in all different languages of people from all over the world and the jerusalem part happens Over 3,000 people come to Christ in one day, in one day. You don't know how many times I've dreamed of that happening. Like 3,000 people show up, they all come to Christ, they're like, ah, that'd be awesome. And so in Jerusalem, the church explodes, but it just stays in Jerusalem. And so a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. In other words, the, the, the authorities and some of the people, they turn on the Christians. They find out what their message is. They they're like, wait, that's that's no, that's not what we believe. They turn on the Christians and they persecute them, which causes, as it goes on to say, and that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea. And Samaria. Uh Uh-oh. Jerusalem. Then comes Judea and Samaria. How did they get there? Because they're winners? Actually, no. They got there because they were persecuted. Do you think while they're being persecuted and they're running from their homes and they're moving to Judea and Samaria, they're going, woo, Jesus is winning. Power. This is awesome. No. No. It didn't look like Jesus was winning at that moment. We're going to jump ahead about 2,000 years from this time period, because now we're going to talk about the ends of the earth. We're part of that as part of Skyline, but we also have sent a missionaries missionaries to Paraguay. And uh, this couple, uh, one of them grew up in Ecuador, one of them grew up right here in our community, and God called them to go to Paraguay. And so I'd like you guys to get, just give a huge welcome to Dario and Juanita. Hi, guys.
1: Hey,
0: how are you? Okay, you guys ready? Guerrero. How'd I do? Mm-hmm. Guerrero, yeah? you, look, you didn't look in his eyes. The look in his eyes was like, he tried. He, he, he did. He tried. Like Rolling the R's. Let's do it together. Guerrero. I don't think you did that much better than I did. All right, so uh, here's a couple of questions for you. Uh, by the way, uh, h- how long have you been back here from Paraguay? Uh, four and a half years. You were there four and a half yes, years. Sir, yes. how, long have, how many days have you been home? Two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. All right, very good. Okay. Uh, can you both give a brief story of where you grew up? and how you ended up in Paraguay. Yeah, I was
1: born and raised in Ecuador, and I'm the oldest of uh, seven kids. I remember going to uh, different villages with my home church, and I noticed right away the importance of learning the people's language and culture to communicate about clearly who God is and what he did for the people. So years later, uh, talking to different missionaries and um, and praying about where to serve God in this context, uh, we learned that there is a need of uh, Bible translation and discipleship among indigenous groups in Paraguay. So with that fact in mind, we headed to uh, missionary school, and then uh, we finished that, and then we shared that mission and, and of going to Paraguay with friends and churches, and that's how God directed us to, to Paraguay.
2: And for me, I was born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, my parents are Wayne and Regina. I don't know, some of you might know them. And I have five siblings, and um, since I was young, God gave me a love for Spanish, and that eventually led me down to Ecuador, where Dario and I met, and um, then we went to Paraguay because he filled the
0: Okay, so th- uh, this was the first time you've ever been to Paraguay, correct? And so what, what one or two things did you just fall in love with in Paraguay?
1: Uh, having uh, been grown up having grown up in Ecuador where it's very lush and green I like the eastern part of Paraguay which is green and rains a lot and I love the hills and I really love their meat they have very good steak down there mm-hmm. good beef yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, for me it's the people and the uniqueness of their culture um, when we got there um, there was a church that was receiving us and they were very, um, they welcomed us, they helped us get settled. And for me, the relationships and the friendships that we made um, for me is what I love about it.
0: Okay, so you mentioned Bible translation. Uh, what's involved, what does it mean to translate the Bible? And what's involved in Bible translation?
1: To translate the Bible means to put God's word into the language of the, of the people. And it, it involves a, a team. The language helper, which is the indigenous person, and then the missionary who knows about Bible translation and literacy and how to prepare Bible lessons. And also the third person is the language consultant, an outside person who comes and checks the progress of the Bible translation.
0: Probably don't need both of you to answer that question. Okay, good. Um, what, in these four years, right, what made you say... What in the world am I doing here? Why am I, 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 got, I want to go home.
1: I think showing up to different events in the village as a missionary, you know, you observe their culture and what they do and all stuff. When they were going to a soccer game, there's about 400 people there. We're walking, and literally the game stopped. All eyes were on us. And I was like, should we go back home, or should we just <laughs> mingle with the people? It can be easy for us just to go back right, we just hide in the bushes. But we heard people like whispering or whatever they were saying, and pointing at us. And I say, Juanita, well, we have to do this. If we wanted to know the language, we had to mingle with the people, sit with them, even though we don't understand the language. So it was kind of, I don't know, embarrassing at the same time, but we had to do this.
2: I think um, for me, those days when you're sick and you don't, you just want to rest, and then everyone's coming to the house to visit that day, and you know you got to get out there. Um, that, those will be hard, and, but I think collectively, for us, would have been the time that Amarta, our, our daughter, got dengue, and that was probably a year after we got there, and her symptoms were not normal, and we weren't sure if she was going to get better. And so I think that was a moment where we weren't sure, like, if we were going to be able to keep going.
0: Wow, that would be super tough. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be t- go through it yourself, but to have your daughter go through it, that, that, that's got to be super tough. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a really ignorant question at this point. So do you really stick out? Did you stick out like they knew very much that you weren't, you didn't belong there?
1: Uh, I think because of our height, we were welcome. <laughs> we are sure people. But when we say we come from North America or she's from North America, they say, but you're not white. Yeah. Like a, but you're a believer. I mean, you're a missionary. I so. yeah. So I think it's an advantage because we're welcomed really quick. So I guess God knows what he was doing. So, yeah.
0: See? That tan thing works out all the time. Uh, So, what, on the reverse side of that, what caused you to say, this, man, this is where, I'm right where God wants me to be, this is where I belong, this is it, this is my mission, this is it?
1: I, for me, was going out and just getting to know some, most of the guys there who are single or single dudes or parents. I was working in the, just cutting down some trees to clear the land to make a house, and then... There were a bunch of guys, and then I just approached one of the guys. We were working, and I say to him, and I, they speak Spanish, but very broken Spanish. I said to him, hey, thank you for coming to help out. He didn't say anything. I was like, okay, just going to keep working, right? Just keep working alongside him. And about two hours later, we were done. And he, I was, I said, okay, goodbye. So he tapped on my shoulder, and he says, I want to say thank you for coming to live in our village with your family. Thank you for bringing your family to live here. And that was like a, <laughs> What in the world this is? I felt you know welcome. This is it. This is our place awesome.
0: now. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Uh, for me, that would have been um, certainly before we were um, leaving. Ben language helper's dad passed away, and um, for any, it's not an easy experience. And I didn't know how to relate really. But um, when I was when I saw her and I went to um, to give her a hug and just seeing the despair and the Hopelessness in her eyes. Like in that moment, I remember thinking, "This is why we're here. This is why God wanted us to come, um, because she needs to know the hope of Jesus, just like everyone else."
0: Awesome. So uh, I know you, you just got back, and and if you don't know this, when you live overseas for four years and you come back to the United States, the the, the adjustment is really hard. Like it's it's a really difficult thing. And so they're just getting started on that. They probably haven't gotten punched in the nose too hard yet. But uh, if you can answer this, what do, you, what do you wish we knew about the hearts or the people of Paraguay?
1: I, they are human beings like you and I. They're, they have fears about the future, the present. Their hearts are torn between living their way, trusting their ways, their beliefs, instead of trusting God, way. So you can imagine they live in a world where the, their world is controlled by spirits, and they are afraid of death. If someone gets sick, they don't know what to do. They, they are basically um, people who need hope, and just like everyone else, they need to
0: be set free. Ditto. 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 All right, can I pray for you? If you guys would stand up, would you, everybody, if you're comfortable with this, if you're not, don't. But if you would just move to the center and hold hands with each other so we can just pray all as one, I, I would really appreciate that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit giving power to Dario and Juanita to be your witness. Thank you that they are willing to go to an entirely foreign place, build relationships with people that they have to learn the the language of, they have to learn how to communicate with, who think differently, Uh, all all that's entailed in being your witness. Lord, I, I, I most of all thank you for the call on their life, that you've spoken to their hearts and you have said, You will be my witness in Paraguay. This is where I want you. I thank you that when they see the hearts of the people, their hearts light up. Your spirit lights up. The power of your spirit comes to life. I pray that this year we get to know them well. That they have opportunities to be ministered to and that we minister to them. That when they leave, their heart is broken because they become so close to us, and yet by the power of your Spirit, they know, Peregrine is where they belong. In your name we pray, Amen. Thank Thanks, guys. Thank you. <clears throat> Jerusalem to around the world, and then the book of Acts walks through how Paul uh, goes on and he travels throughout Asia, and which, by the way, Paul was part of that persecution in the beginning of Acts that caused people to spread apart. He was actually an unbeliever who was persecuting believers, and uh, then he becomes a believer, and, and Jesus calls him to plant churches, to start new churches. So he travels, he goes to new towns, he, he, he does pretty close to what their goal is, ultimately, is that new churches are planted. And he teaches, he witnesses about who Jesus is, and new churches are started in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, a lot of your Bible, New Testament Bible, those are letters written by Paul to these churches that he's planted and then uh, after, he takes really three different missionary journeys where he, he goes around and then he comes back and visits the church, churches and not all of them on the third one, but visits them all. He gets to the end of Acts and he says this, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That's us. Anybody who's not Jewish is Gentile. That's us. He says, and they will listen. Will they listen? Will the Gentiles listen? Is Jesus winning? Oftentimes, when we measure whether or not Jesus is winning, what we see happening looks very much like he's losing but he's actually at work at that time. Jesus, God has done this throughout history where he says, listen, I am at work in ways you can't see. I'm at work in the spirit in the ways you can't see by looking at the physical. And an amazing story has happened in the country of Iran. Iran has... Uh, a population of like 80 million people. And Iran had, had, about 1,300 years ago, became Muslim. And they, since that time, they had a population of Christians who their children became Christians and their children became Christians. But almost no one went from being Muslim to Christian. As a matter of fact, for about 1,300 years, as far as they could tell, there were only about 300 Christians who'd become Christians when they were, had converted from Muslim, being Muslim. A very tiny group of people over the 1,300 years. Well, when I was a junior in high school, I remember news reports and the news reports were about how the, the Shah of Iran had been overtaken. There'd been this giant revolution, and they'd taken Americans captive. And these Americans were held captive for 444 days. I remember in school, every day, we would check in on that, right? We would hear that, we would we'd see that news report, and, and what was going on? What was going on is that the... the uh, very hardline Muslim group had taken over Iran and they instituted Sharia law. And under Sharia law it is illegal to convert from Muslim to Christian. It's the death penalty. You'll be killed for it. They also uh, under the, uh, the different Khomeini's and, and uh, the rulers of that time of, of Iran We've been dealing with it ever since. It's where a huge amount of terrorism comes from. If you watch the news at all, you know that's, that's, that's where it comes from. And they've been, at, they've been at war with Iraq. They've caused war with Iraq, with, with other countries. They're enemies of other, other countries. And, and at the core of this is this group that is committed to Sharia law and so certainly now Jesus must be losing he must be losing look at what's happening well this is what has happened sharia law is empty there is no hope and it leaves people hopeless and what has happened in iran is they've come to see this is hopeless this is this is not There's nothing here. And people are turning away from Islam in droves. And they're turning to Christ. Now, here's something that is truly amazing. We often think of winning in terms of big organizations. And and lots of people are involved. And look, they must be winning. Look at all those people involved. But what's happening in Iran is that they are planting little tiny churches of five to eight people. Do you know why they would be so small? It's entirely illegal to meet. And if you get caught meeting, you're either going to prison for a long time or you're going to get the death penalty. In the last 20 years, a documented for sure 400,000 people have come to Christ in Iran. They believe that the number is a million people have come to Christ. For the, those first 1,300 years, almost no one. And now a million people. While we were watching, we would go, Oh, no, Jesus isn't winning there. No big churches, nothing happening there. In fact, what is happening? Jesus said, my spirit will come upon you, and you'll be given power to be my witnesses. And one by one by one by one, that is exactly what's happening. It's one thing to accept Christ because you think, yeah, I want to go to heaven, and this would be great, and they have a party when you get baptized. This is great. It's another thing to come to Christ when they go, listen, listen. Before you sign the dotted line, you need to know. Anybody finds out, you're dead. But the power of God is at work in Iran. The next passage says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Now that sounds pretty good, a rented house. It's because he's under house arrest. He he is now in Rome, and he's under arrest. This This is the Christian, really, the follower of Christ. He wrote most of the New Testament. This is the guy, right? You want to be a winner? Wow, I'd like to be Paul. Well, he didn't look like a winner. He's under house arrest. And welcomed all who say him came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Did he look like a winner? From the outside you would have no idea that this guy who's under arrest is writing the book of Romans. Which changed my life. I found the grace of God in what he wrote while he was in prison. And I have good days and bad days just like you. But every time I come back to the grace of God, I'm reminded. It doesn't matter what happens on this earth. I I am one with Christ. And no one can take that away from me. And many of you from that same book have found the grace of God. It has changed your life and your eternity. The guy wrote it in prison under house arrest. It wouldn't have looked like he was winning. The last story I want to tell you is the story of the Mock people. The Malk people are from a country in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is an amazingly beautiful place. Uh, Anybody who's ever been there, some people say it's on par with Hawaii. I I don't know how that's possible, but they say it's on par with Hawaii. It's just this amazing, beautiful place. This story takes place in the 1980s. So this is not something that happened way, way long, long time ago. It happened not too long ago. There was a couple named Mark and Gloria Zook. Mark and Gloria Zook uh, grew up in Pennsylvania. They were 10th generation Swedes, which means that their ancestors came from Switzerland to flee religious persecution. Just like in Acts, they, are, they leave the Jerusalem. They end up in the United States because of the persecution that took place there. Their family does. And they go to a church not so much different than our church. And through that time, they're like, I think think God wants us to go to the mission field. I think he wants us to go to Papua New Guinea. And so uh, they go through a number of steps. They take their family. They go to Papua New Guinea. And again, it's just this amazing, beautiful place. But they're going into villages where... Oftentimes, they've never seen anyone outside of their village. These are villages that for probably a thousand or more years have existed, and the only people they know are each other. They've never heard the word of God. They've never heard news outside of their context. So what do you do? If you show up, what do you do? Do you you get out your Bibles and say Jesus loves you? Uh, What they said is you probably shouldn't do that. You'd be in real trouble, and you'd be the last one to find out that you are in real trouble. So what do you do? Well, the first step is you listen. You get to know them. And you spend maybe a year or years getting to know them. They don't have a written language. So you've got to figure out their language. And there's no one who's ever been there before. So nobody can teach you the language before you get there. You've got to figure out the language by interacting with them. It takes a long time. Then you've got to figure out how they think, how they interact, how they look at the world. What are they afraid of? And they did. They spent a good amount of time getting to know them. And what they found was delightful people. This is almost always true of missionaries. They fall in love with the people. They just fall in love with them. And they found that they were constantly in fear. Forever in fear. They were afraid of the evil spirits they believed with their whole hearts that evil spirits controlled everything and that if you did not pacify if you did not make the evil spirits happy Then they would make you sick. They would make you suffer. They would make you poor. They would What all these different ways that they would destroy your lives, so they lived in constant fear, so even though they live in paradise There's constant fear One of their practices was that they, the men would dress up in this mask and, and dance, and they believed and taught the children and the women that these were their dead relatives who'd come back to haunt them, and they needed to serve these spirits. And no woman was to ever see the mask, and if she ever did see the mask, she was to be put to death. And they found, one of the guys came and told, this, told the story about how his mom had seen the mask, and her brother's took her out, and murdered her and buried her because she had seen the mask. It was all deception. It was all fear. And the way that they would grieve, because death, death for them, this was interesting, they knew they were sinners. Death for them was a terrifying thing. So once you find out what they're about and what they're new, how would you teach them the gospel? Where would you start? Well, they did a really, I thought it was just ingenious. Where they started was they said, they they built a giant map. And on this giant map, they had the whole world. And they said, okay, here's where we come from in the United States. Here's where Israel is. Here's where these other countries are. And here's where Papua New Guinea is. And here's where you are. And then they started with the creation of mankind. And and they talked to them and they said, yeah, we've heard different stories of creation. And they presented other stories of creation. The missionaries even presented that some people believe in evolution. A- and they said, do you know which one's true? And they're like, we don't know. We, we, we don't know. And then he began to walk through the stories of the Old Testament. And they taught them about story after story after story from the Old Testament. They got to the story of Abraham. And they got to the place where he told them that God had asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. But they didn't finish the story. And They weren't going to finish the story until the next day. Oh, by the way, very important part. They gathered. They, they went to tell these stories. And they got to know the people. The entire village, 320 people, come to these lessons every day. Even if somebody's sick, they set up a, a kind of like a nurse's station so they could hear at the same time. They had one lady who had a baby while listening to these stories. There's, the, the whole entire tribe comes every day to hear these stories. They get to the Abraham one, and the, the, they, were per, they were perplexed. The men were perplexed, and they, they went back to, to, and thought about it, and thought about it, and, and they came to the missionaries. Four different guys came to the missionaries and said, wait, 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 wait. Abraham is a godly, godly man, so he'll do what God says. But Isaac is the son of promise. He's got to live. God must somehow raise Isaac from the dead. And then they tell them the story about, oh no, how God provided a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. And then they walk through the other stories in the Old Testament till the time that they get to, to, to teach about Jesus and they begin to teach about Jesus, and the people fall in love with Jesus. Now, you, all of you, grew up knowing about Jesus. Your culture knows about Jesus. This culture knows nothing about love your enemies. This culture knows nothing about what Jesus taught and all that he brought. And you're like, oh, no, our culture's always been that. Everybody believes that. No, you don't understand. A, a ton of the great things that our culture is built on, They come from Jesus, of which this culture knew nothing about it. And they fell in love with him. He was perfect. He was great. He was awesome. They were like, this is, they they loved him. And then they they come to the place, and, and they understood sin. They didn't have to teach them that men were sinners. That part they already knew, but they couldn't figure out what to do with their sin. They come to the place where Jesus is put on the cross. And they acted this out. They have somebody put on a cross. They put him up. They put like red uh, paint or something underneath the shirt. And they stab him and the red paint comes out. and And the villagers are like, wait, what? Wait, what? No. They go into a deep depression. Like they're sad that Jesus has died. And the missionary teaches them, comes back to, them and says, Do you remember that God provided the lamb? He provided the lamb for you. It was like the lights went on all over the place. And person after person after person stands up and goes, I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus sacrificed for me. I believe. I'm forgiven. I believe. I'm forgiven. Person after person after person. And then he teaches them that Jesus raises from the dead. And they said the mock people are generally a conservative people. They're generally not super emotional people. But person after person gets up and, and, and says yes, and then they go into a giant dance of celebration, of jumping up and down. They said it lasted for two and a half hours. Practically the entire village came to Christ that day. Is Jesus winning? Well, let's go back to this verse again. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I love that mock story. Yes, part of it was my life, my whole, my, like, since I was 16 years old, my dream was to go to one of those villages. That's what I wanted to do. But what I love about the story the most is, why would those people believe? What's going on? The Spirit of God is there. He's at work. This is not done because we have authority. This is not done because we came up with this great plan. This is not done because we're winners. This is done because the power of God is at work and wants to reach people. He wants to set them free from their fear. He has invited you to be a part of this. Jesus is winning. There's no way around it. He's winning. But I wonder, are you part of this? Are you part of this? No, not do you go to church. That's not the question. Do you read, it's not do you read your Bibles. That's not the question. The question is, Jesus has invited you to be his witness. Are you on the team? Have you said yes? Yes, Jesus, that's my life. That's what I'm here for. Where do you want to send me? There are a few of you that Jesus wants to send to the ends of the earth. He's waiting for you to say yes. He's already been talking to you. For others of you, he has asked you to simply serve right here at Skyline Church. Not volunteer. Serve, to be servant, to be a minister of the gospel, to figure out how I am going to share Christ with other people. What say you? I say yes. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for... This isn't a story that someone made up. Thank you for your story. Thank you that for you, winning does not mean being number one. It just means following and sharing and loving. In your name we pray. Amen.